Recovery Elevator, episode 466. It just finally came to a point where, you know, all the all the tapering and the rule setting and the negotiating and let's do it this day, but not this day, but not after this time and only this type of drink. <laughs> it's exhausting. It was just so exhausting. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm so happy you're here with us today. On today's show, we have Rick. He's 46 from New Hampshire and took his last drink on September 9th, 2023. The number one song on that day was Cruel Summer by T. Swift, so he was in good company. Nice job, Rick. I want to give a big shout out to our chat host over in Cafe RE. You guys have been crushing it in the new year, and I'm so grateful for your service to our community. Thank you for what you do. One of today's sponsors is our very own Recovery Elevator ukulele class. This coming Saturday on January 27th, we start our six-week online ukulele course. We're going to meet six Saturdays in a row at noon Eastern time with a group of rock stars who are exploring life without alcohol and who want to learn a new hobby in sobriety. So you're going to learn how to play the ukulele, but you'll also learn how to use music as therapy and how sound vibrations can help you quit drinking. We've got four great instructors lined up, so you'll find yourself in smaller practice groups often. We'd like to thank Kala Brand for sponsoring this course. And if you need to pick up a ukulele, go to kalabrand.com and use the promo code ELEVATOR24 at checkout for a discount. Link is in the show notes for more info. And lastly, before we get to the intro, I just wanted to mention again the collaboration between Go Brewing and Recovery Elevator. When I think of my early days in recovery, the entry point for me was this acute point of suffering. Things had to get really rough for me before I even considered an alcohol-free life. To see a company like Go Brewing be excited about putting a resource on their can that promotes recovery is pretty awesome. We've said it over and over again on this show that you don't have to fit into some stereotype and you don't have to label yourself as anything just to decide that you want to change your relationship with alcohol. Having a great tasting any beer company openly share a recovery resource goes a long way towards removing that barrier for entry for people who might be curious about making a change. Thanks again to Go Brewing for your support. I ordered my RE brews last week and I cannot wait to give them a try. If you want to try them out yourself, you can find the link with the discount in the show notes. Thank you, Robin. All right, let's get into it. Last week, I was catching up with my friend Trisha. If you're a longtime listener, you may have heard one of her three interviews on this show. Or you may know her from her own project, the Recovery Happy Hour podcast. A little heads up to fans of that show, Trisha just announced that she's going to be doing a pop-up episode, so keep your eyes open. As we were talking, she was telling me that she had just re-listened to a bunch of her episodes, one of which was her interview with me, What Up, Recovery Happy Hour, episode 27. We both couldn't believe how far we'd come from that interview or from the beginning of our friendship. For both of us and many on this journey, we start very much in a survival state of mind. We're looking at removing something that has become incorporated into every aspect of our lives. The early days are filled with some very basic life skills. How do I not drink when I get home from work? How do I handle conflict with people in my life? What do I do when I'm bored, stressed, sad, angry, or how am I supposed to celebrate? Is it even possible for me to hang out with people again? Will I be fun anymore? All of these things are front of mind and they take up a lot of bandwidth. For anyone listening that's there right now, I want you to know that it's normal to be focusing on these things. Also, the more time we get away from alcohol and the more work that we put into our recovery and healing, 
the more these things just become a part of our life. As we face these tests and learn what works or what doesn't, we're able to handle situations that used to give us problems. I hesitate to use the word easier, but we prove to ourselves over time that we can do it. We change, and the way we respond to the outside stimulus changes as well. With that, there comes another stage of evolution. There isn't a standard timeline, but if I had to put a number on it, I'd say somewhere between that 9 and 15 month mark, there seems to be a shift. With some time under our belts, we start to wonder what's next. By then, we've made it through some big holidays, birthdays, plenty of social situations, and the myriad of things that life can throw at us. But what do we do next? Is it just this? Forever? Long before me, recovering people ask themselves this same question. I have this new freedom. My life is changing. But what do I do with it? Also, how do I keep it? How does it stay fresh and not become stagnant? Luckily for us, they figured something out. In order to keep it, we have to give it away. In the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a paragraph towards the beginning of chapter 7, Working with Others. It goes like this. Life will take on a new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. Maybe you're not an AA person though, and that's okay. It doesn't preclude you from this idea. Smart Recovery says their meetings are a place where people can talk with one another rather than to one another. Recovery Dharma. We cultivate healthy relationships within a recovery community to both support our own recovery and support the recovery of others. Celebrate Recovery says they provide you a safe place to share your experiences, strength, and hopes with others that are also going through a Christ-centered recovery. Women for Sobriety is a peer support program tailored specifically for women overcoming substance use disorders. Our own Cafe RE mission statement says, We're a safe and supportive, alcohol-free community where people walk their path to authenticity and wholeness together. Over and over again, you hear themes of doing this together and being a part of a community. There's got to be something to that. An old saying that I've heard at meetings is that none of us got here on a winning streak. Personally, I kind of laugh a little bit when I hear this because I know it's true for me, but there's also a little part of me that cringes too. I don't want anyone to feel bad about being in the room, the chat, or the community that we're in. But I think we can spin that a little different. Last month, I had the opportunity to attend a 40-hour training put on by North Dakota's Behavioral Health Division. It was put on to help people get their certification in recovery peer support. Last March, I also got another peer support certification for critical incident response and stress management. Both of these trainings leaned heavily on using your own lived experience as an asset rather than a detriment. Yes, we've had our struggles, and some of us have been through some really challenging situations that led up to or as a result of our alcohol usage, but we don't have to let that keep us down. Who on earth is better equipped to talk to someone struggling with their substance use, working through trauma in their daily lives, or regaining their freedom than a peer who has been through the exact same thing? You, the listener, are uniquely equipped to step into people's lives in a way you might not have seen. I think our stories transcend demographics, which is beautiful, but also we have certain boxes that we check. These boxes don't define us, but they can help us see where we might be able to put our story to use. I'm a 41-year-old husband and father who works in the energy sector in rural North Dakota. I'm also a veteran who served in a combat zone, and I've been through certain experiences unique to my childhood. 
I know that there are a lot of men just like me who are currently struggling with mental health and substance use issues, both in my community and beyond. So what can I do about it? It doesn't have to be this grand gesture. Personally, I'm not financially equipped to open up a men's lodge and host retreats every weekend for men to connect and work through their stuff, but I can share a bit of hope. I can get connected with small groups at my church and share my story. I can get to know my neighbors and parents at my kid's school. I can show up for my coworkers and peers. Doesn't look like me spilling my guts every time I meet someone new, but instead I can take a genuine interest in their lives. I can ask what they've been up to or how they're doing, and I can hold space for them. You'd be surprised how much people open up when you give them the room to do so. Pay attention, ask questions, and when appropriate, share a bit of your story. Chances are, in some way, shape, or form, you're already doing this, even if you don't realize it. There's something beautiful about taking the dark places of our lives and using it to bring light to someone in need. My wife and I often say that by pouring out into our community, whether in person or virtually, we're making sure that the suffering wasn't for nothing. Our test has become our testimony, and we're truly grateful to be on this side of it for today. You're more than your story, RE. You're more than the dark times. You are a walking example of hope, and you're proof that the courage to change exists. Wherever you are, even if you're still fighting to stack days, you're the embodiment of the human spirit, and I'm proud of you. I'm honored to be on the path with you. Before we hear from Rick, let's hear from our sponsor, Athletic Greens. Taking care of our bodies is crucial in recovery. I've been drinking AG1 for almost a year, and it is now an essential part of my day. I usually wake up around five, I do some journaling, my meditation, I drink my AG1, and then I know that I'm off to a good start. I focus on what I can control and having this supplement is now a part of that. I have peace of mind knowing that one scoop a day has everything that I need and it supports my immune system. I'm a mom, the kids get sick all the time, the weather's been crazy in San Diego, believe it or not, and it's just great to know that AG1 contains everything that I need, not to mention I have noticed an increase of energy throughout the day. So I just, I love it. If there's one product I have to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why we've partnered with them for so long. So if you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 plus K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com forward slash recovery. That's drinkag1.com forward slash recovery. Check it out. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Rick to the show. Rick, how are you doing this morning? I am fantastic this morning, Chris. How are you? Doing well. Good. Off to, off to a great start with some recovery talk first thing in the morning. So uh, excited to have you on the show and grateful for your willingness to be here. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Rick, can you let listeners know mm-hmm. how long you've been sober? Yeah, sure. So, um, my uh, most recent and hopefully final quit date uh, is September 9th of 2023, which happened to also be my youngest child's 10th birthday. Right on. Coming up on, all right, not great at math this early in the morning, but coming coming up on that 90-day mark, right? Yes, sir. How are you feeling, Rick? I feel great. Um, uh, it's 
it's been a, an interesting, amazing transition back to uh, what I guess would be normalcy for most people, right? Clear, <laughs> yeah. clear head, clear mind, body feels great. I feel, I feel really good. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It definitely is. Uh, it's good when we can start to reap some of those benefits and recognize the positives that, that these changes that we're making in our lives bring to us. Yeah. Before we get into your story, Rick, can you let us know a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do for a living, age, married, sure. family, anything like that? And most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Sure. Yeah, I'm um, I'm a 46-year-old um, in New Hampshire. I've been married to my beautiful wife for 19 years. I have three daughters that are 15, almost 16, uh, currently going through driver's ed, uh, 13 and 10. So three beautiful girls. I am uh, in a family business. I'm in the car business, actually. Uh, and I have been for most of my professional career, 20 plus years. And for fun, gosh, you know, I've I've suddenly got a lot of um, free time in my schedule that was previously occupied by something else. So uh, I'm kind of relearning some things, to be honest with you. But um Grilling, barbecuing, cooking, um, anything with my kids, board games. It's my kind of my geeky, my geeky habit that never went away from being a kid. Um, even some video games, things like that, but just spending time with family, friends, doing some different things to reacquaint myself with a lot of different parts of life that I feel like I missed for a while. That's awesome, man. Thanks. Three kids at busy ages. I imagine they oh, yeah. I imagine they keep you going. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just, I love to hear that, the the time with family thing. I love to hear that. I think that's I just, I think it's great. So yeah. kudos to you, man. Thanks. All right, man. Let's do what we came here to do and talk about your journey with alcohol. Sure. Uh, start at the beginning with some early exposure or first uses, and then uh, we'll just walk forward together. Sure. Yeah. I, um, I, I wasn't much of a, uh, of a drinker growing up, you know, I think the first probably like a lot of kids, right. You know, you're at a family function and I specifically remember one year uh, Thanksgiving. I don't know how old it was. I was probably nine, 10, maybe, I don't know. And uh, there was a football game with family and I was a little young to play. So I sat on the sidelines and Hey, Hey, one of my uncles hold this wine cooler for me. And oh, what's this, you know, have a sip, taste it. And it's kind of like, Oh, wow, this is kind of interesting. It, it, nothing ever happened from there, but I just remember that moment in time thinking, wow, this is what the adults do. This is kind of cool. And it actually, it actually tasted pretty good to me as a little kid. Didn't do much in high school. It was a pretty, pretty straight arrow. My parents were really strict. I think the first time I really um, tried alcohol in high school, I was, I used to sing in high school and I was on a singing tour in Europe, my junior year, summer between junior and senior year. And of all days, I picked Bastille Day, which is France's Independence Day to uh, have some drinks with some friends. And I really got drunk for the first time in my life at 17 years old in Paris, France, and just kind of wandered all over the city. And there's fireworks going off and laser shows. I mean, it was probably a pretty, it was pretty memorable, pretty memorable night. Uh, you know, had I not ended up developing what I consider a problem with alcohol it would have been a, you know, a great memory. And it's still a great memory for a lot of reasons, but um, that was the first time I really got sick, uh, from from having alcohol and then the next day was a seven hour bus ride 
um, across Europe to some country. And I remember just laying on the floor feeling like <laughs> the dirt that was on the floor of that bus. I just felt terrible. But, you know, after that, maybe senior year, it was one or two times at friends parties or things. I just, I was kind of scared of it. I didn't want to drink and drive or any of that kind of stuff. You know, it was just a very scary thing. And alcohol had always been present in my household. My parents, you know, probably enjoyed it more than they should have at certain times, but never to the point where, you know, they weren't able to fulfill their responsibilities as parents and they never set really a bad example. Um, so kind of went through that part of my life without really experimenting much with it. Uh, I finished high school at 17. I was a little on the young side and I went to uh, Purdue University out in Indiana. And that's where I basically, we'll call it a freshman year of college, but it was more like a year off of partying and having fun. It's kind of where I was let loose without any parental figures. And I yeah. was, you know, being, being, having such a strict household in high school, um, you know, being set free like that at 17 was kind of like, um, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> yeah, that is, uh, I just always think it's interesting that, you know, I didn't take a traditional route. I went, I went the military way, but that like with to just, I don't know, just the way that we cut adolescents loose at set, you know, in your case, 17, even 18 years old, that's, that's young. And I think for, we've had many guests on the show. We've heard many stories that even if we come from decent, good homes, there's still that, I don't know, we just view it as normal or this like rite of passage to that, that first year away. Uh, like uh, after graduating high school is just like a, yeah that's when i that's when like shit hit the fan that's when i cut loose so did that first year did that start the long trend or was was that just like a a one off year of maybe a little wild and out for a year then yeah you know i don't it, it was it wasn't a constant thing for me that that year but whenever i had the opportunity it was it was it was binge drinking you know it was the kind of typical however many light beers you can have, you know, you couldn't afford anything really good to drink at that age. So it was whatever you could get your hands on um, and started experimenting with like marijuana and stuff like that. And it, it was just, um, it was just a combination of the, the no responsibility, no oversight on me and just running wild. Um, it, you know, in hindsight, I didn't, there wasn't anything really terrible that happened, you know, other than mistreating myself and skipping a bunch of classes and getting a 1.4 GPA and wasting some money. So, you know, that was, that was a one year and done. And then there was a refocus and I changed schools. Um, and, you know, I would say it was probably traditional drinking for me from a, from a college perspective. Right. Um, I wasn't drinking during the day unless there was no classes. Uh, it was more of a weekend party binge drinking thing. I, I was a, I was a resident assistant. That's part of how I paid for college. Um, so, you know, that, that is, uh, I had some responsibilities, right? So I couldn't go kind of hog wild. Um, but I certainly enjoyed it and kind of developed, uh, you know, the idea that this is okay, right? This is, this is acceptable. This is okay for us to do. Um, it's okay to be walking around stumbling drunk certain times of the day or certain days of the week. And that's kind of where it was normalized for me, I think. Yeah. Just that what we would perceive as traditional, like that college experience. After the, uh, so after that refocus and shift to a new school, let's just keep go going forward from there. Sure. Yeah. Um, finished school, um, entered the, entered the workforce as, as one does when they finish and got an apartment and all the grown up stuff. And I think at that point is when I started to realize that, uh, wow, I can kind of do this whenever I want. 
right? I'm an adult. I'm a grown up. I can, I've got a job. I've got a paycheck. I've got a place that I live. I'm, you know, only responsible for myself at this point in my life. So that's, that's when it probably became more than just a, a fun weekend thing. It started to become more of a daily uh, daily thing, you know, you get home from work and you pour yourself a drink and that's, you know, you, you see it everywhere, right? I mean, it's so ingrained in our culture that that's, again, that traditional normal phrase kind of kind of references what I was living at that time. Um, and I, I eventually got into the family business at about 20, how old is I, 22 or 23. And it's a pretty, it can be a pretty tense business, you know, um, the automotive business. Um pretty stressful, a lot of hours. So kind of, kind of became a transition from a fun thing to do with friends and, and in the evening to wind down to a coping mechanism, right? Which you hear it all the time, especially for folks that are on the show. Uh, it, it's just what you use to kind of numb or, or, or drown out some things, some voices in your head or some things that are happening or just things in your life that you don't want to pay attention to. You want to get home, you want to shut it off. Uh, and, and that's kind of where it took off for me from there. Um, and, you know, I think when I originally reached out to you, Chris, I, I, I said that my, my story is not one that's um, particularly, you know, uh, you know, extreme or anything like that. I never had anything really horrible happen to me, but I just got to this point where it started happening, you know, every day. And, and I just felt like it was okay. Right. I mean, there was nobody or anything telling me otherwise. Um, so that proceeded for a really long time, this daily drink here, drink there, two drinks, three drinks. And it's progressive, right? Like like, like it is with alcohol. It started with beer, then maybe some wine. Then, hey, you know, I can I can do this a lot quicker with a lot less volume yeah. and switching, you know? Um, yeah, I think you make a, a very important distinction, Rick. And it's it's that using of using alcohol as a tool. You know, you talked about that shift to it, like it became a coping mechanism. And I think that's, I think that's a really important thing that, you know, if I, if I, if I ever talk with anyone or if anybody ever questions me about alcohol use, like that's a point that I try to bring up is like, how are like, how are you using this? Mm -hmm. And exactly what you said, it, life became a little more stressful. There's, you know, maybe some anxiety going on. I was starting to feel some burnout at work, maybe. And this was a way to, to turn that off. And that's, that's that usage that, that, that is the, how, like how I'm using this tool. And from there, that's a jumping off point where we can look at it and evaluate. Is this a, is this healthy? Can I quantify this? Is it more than it has been? Is it more than I think that it wanted to be? It just opens that door for another level of evaluation and kind of can put us in the driver's seat to make some decisions, but, but yeah, you're exactly right. It's the shit is progressive and it's slow and that's just the society that we live in kind of facilitates that, that progression for sure. Yeah. And you don't really question it, right? Because if everything and everyone around you says it's okay, I mean, literally every, every TV show we watch movies, uh, advertisements, everything, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty extreme. Um, and, and, you know, I have a, I have a beautiful wife, a great marriage. Um, she is a normie. She's a normal drinker. She doesn't, you know, she doesn't, uh, she can have half of a drink and put it down and leave it. And I'm like, what are you doing? Um, and, you know, she's never thinking about her ne next drink like I typically was. So, you know, there was that part as I progressed and got a little bit older that made me kind of question a little bit. Um, and, you know, I one of the first 
times I, I kind of ask the question as one does when they go to good old Google and how much is too, do I have a problem with alcohol? You know, and they say, if you're asking that question, you probably do, but it led me to a website called Sober Recovery, which, you know, I, I, I did a lot of reading and just, it's a community where people post and I made an account and started posting questions and got that, hey, if you're asking that question, that's, you know, you probably have a problem. You know, and I, I would try to moderate over the years. I'd take some time off or my wife would say something. Hey, you know, it seems like you're having a little, little much lately or whatever the situation was. And I, I would, I would back off, but it was a lot of um, starts, stops, never with the idea that I wanted to quit forever because, you know, in my mind, that was, that's just what we do. I mean, it's part of life. You know, you, mm-hmm. alcohol is used to celebrate. How can you celebrate without it? Um, and, and I recently went back and I, I think I put this in my message to you originally. Um, and you can, you know, as they say, once I, I, I try to, we try to teach this to our daughters, but once it's on the internet, it's forever, right? It, it's there forever. Uh, and I went back and I looked at my post history and I, I really started questioning my habits back in 2007. And I, I went back and reread some of my old posts and I said, shit, I mean, I'm 46. I've been questioning it this long. This is crazy. What, what am I doing? So, you know, that, that questioning of, if it's actually okay, should I actually be doing this? It's been in my mind for a long time. And it just finally came to a point where, I, you know, all the all the tapering and the rule setting and the negotiating and let's do it this day, but not this day, but not after this time and only this type of drink. <laughs> it's exhausting. It was just so exhausting. There's there's so many of us that do that for so long, right? Because that that idea of abstinence is just abs- it's absolutely terrifying. And exactly what you said, we use it to celebrate. We, you know, and aside from the maybe unhealthy way that we're using this as a coping mechanism, it's, it's the family barbecue, the wedding, the, the guy's night out. Like, what can I, like, what else am I going to do? And it's just, it's like, there's no other options. So the idea of not having that is, it's completely scares the crap out of us, or at least it did for Mm -hmm. me. And I'm curious, what were a couple a couple of your moderation techniques and again like you said you you started to look at this moderation in 07 and it's i mean we're 2023 now and again i i I don't think you're alone there's many of our listeners myself included who like went to the ends of the earth trying to trying to look for that special like what is the recipe of things that are going to work for me uh in terms of moderation but i wonder if you'd be willing to share maybe uh, a couple moderation techniques that you tried, you know, if there's any that stand out to you and then, you know, also you mentioned that they were exhausting. So maybe talk a little bit about what, what that felt like when presumably they didn't work, but just kind of what that sure. did like on an internal level. Yeah. I think we really got into the craft beer scene for a long time. And, you know, New Hampshire is actually the highest per capita beer consumption in the United States. For this tiny little state, we drink a lot of beer. Um, and there's a culture around that, right? And, and I really kind of got into that for a long time. And those, you know, New England IPAs, those are two, 300, whatever calories of pop. You know, you start having six, seven of those in a sitting and it's a lot. So, you know, maybe a moderation technique for me was, you know, well, I shouldn't have all that, all those calories and all that beer. So I'll switch to, uh, I'll switch to hard alcohol. That's, that's, that's brilliant, right? That's, that's a very <laughs> linear, mm-hmm. linear choice. Uh, um, so maybe cutting down on volume, for example, or just instead of having four or five beers on a weeknight, it would be one or two cocktails. 
uh, seems more grown up, right? More elegant instead of pounding beers, pounding beers. That's not refined. You know, you, you have a, a, a cocktail with a big rock in it and that's, that's fancy. That's okay. Um, Got to maintain the right optics, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, in days of the week, right. You know, and, and you know, as, as you get older with kids, all of a sudden you're, you're a taxi cab, right? I mean, you're just running from place to place and dropping off kids and picking them up there. And so part of that, kind of really limited me on when I could. So it became certain days of the week, you know, uh, mainly, mainly weekdays and save it for Friday to Sunday. Uh, but you know, very quickly Thursday night, well, there's nothing going on tomorrow. I, I can, I can have something tonight or Sunday night watching the football game. Uh, well, you know, maybe I'll have more than I normally would. Cause I don't have any important meetings tomorrow. And it's just that progression. And it just kind of seeps into those different days. It, and for me, it was just the frustration and the exhaustion was really around um, letting myself down, right? You make these rules, you try to, you try to follow them and then you don't, and you're kind of, you're disappointed in yourself and there's guilt, there's regret, there's shame. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things I've tried to do as I've moved away from alcohol is really try to leave the shame behind, because I think that, you know, that has to do more with how you feel about yourself as a person. Uh, versus the guilt and regret, which is more around your um, decisions or your activities that you chose, right? Um, but it really came down to the idea that the pain of staying the same became greater than the pain of change for me. Um, in numerous conversations with my, my wife, and really what teed it off at this last time was it was leading up, leading up to the summer, I was really trying to taper and cut back quite a bit. Um, had a vacation week in August. That's like, you know, that's a free pass. You can do whatever you want on vacation. Yeah. My wife, my wife had made some comments. She's like, it's like two o'clock. What do you like? We have some stuff we want to do. What are you doing? I'm, I'm just having a beer. I'm having this. I'm having that. Um, but after that summer of kind of tapering, um, I had taken a week off, not, not saying anything about it, just doing it myself, not, not engaging with other people about it and making myself a cocktail that, that night before my daughter's birthday. And my wife said, well, why don't we have a glass of wine together instead of you making a cocktail? And for whatever reason, you know, I'm, no, I'm having a cocktail. This is what I, this is what I want. Um, and I didn't drink all week. And she looked at me and she said, well, what do you want a cookie? Like, what, like, what, what do you mean? Like, you, there's no prize for that. That's you're an adult. This is, this is your life. What are you, what are you talking about? And that's when it really kind of sunk in. And I, it was just that idea that I can't keep this keep up this negotiation with myself and not following through with it because I don't want to ride that elevator all the way down. You know, um, I want to get off. I don't want to take it to the bottom. Cause like I said, I've never had um, anything catastrophic happen to me. No DUIs, no accidents. I, I'm still married, but in my mind, had I, had I continued, you know, I don't know if my marriage would have lasted. I, I don't know if I'd have good relationships with my kids. Uh, and I really, really didn't want to find out what that would look like if I continued. Cause I know myself and I know that I'm pretty much a, not an all or nothing, but you know, it's easy for me to dive into something and stay with it unless I say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's really what it, what it came down to that, that pain of, of just constant disappointment and feeling negative about myself. I couldn't take it anymore. That's great awareness, man. And I'd laugh at the, like, what do you want a cookie? <laughs> <laughs> I remember Oh my gosh. Yeah. It just, that brings back so many of the, I'm going to do a week. I'm going to, what if I did a week and a half? And like, it very rarely did it last, but that just that need 
for some sort of a reward at the end of it. And then it just ne- like it never left, never, you know, to get the the quote unquote reward after sticking to some sort of a rule that I had set. Like it never, it never felt good. No. It's like, oh, okay, so we're just back in this. All right, that's we're starting over. Um anyway, but that's like great awareness. And it, it maybe didn't feel like a blessing at the time, but to have you know, to have a family member, you know, your your wife kind of hold you a little bit accountable that can be, you know, that can be hard for the partners as well to address some of that stuff, but you're right that it's, it's cliche, but you know, like every bottom has a basement and there's always, you know, we can always go worse, but to be able to, to get to a point where, Hey, I see where this could go. You know, I I already have some awareness about how this, these behaviors are making me feel, but to be able to arrest that before it gets to that catastrophic before it, gets to the loss of a relationship or or something you know terrible happening happening with our kids or or people around us that's that's kind of the whole point of this i i don't know if it's in the big book or if i heard it at a aa meeting but the the whole point of us sharing our stories is so that somebody else can maybe see themselves in our story and stop before they get to the bottom that we did and it's just continually trying to elevate that bottom and it would be great if one day we lived in a society where everybody just had an awareness and didn't have to get to even the point yeah. where they had some struggle. But yeah, maybe that's a pipe dream or just a utopia for another future generation. Uh, I don't know. I will. I will say that um, you know, through all my years of questioning, specifically the last probably two or three years, I, I did do. I, I did a lot of listening to Recovery Elevator podcasts and and. You know, listening, like you said, listening to all those stories. I mean, some of them really scare the shit out of you. Um, some people have gone through some crazy, crazy stuff, loss, medical issues, um, just had their lives turned upside down. And, you know, I would listen to it while I was still drinking, not not literally at the same time, but while alcohol was still part of my life, I still kind of maintained this kind of steady stream of of listening because I knew there was this question in the back of my mind and still listening to that. Um, and the joining the, I joined the um, stop drinking subreddit and just list, looking at their daily posts and just taking it all in and listening to quit lit and all that kind of stuff over the years. I don't know if it just finally sunk in cause I'm such a slow learner, <laughs> but that, that was really integral, intri- integral and key in me making that choice because I had so many examples of just, everyday people like you and I who didn't make that choice and really had some bad stuff happen to them. And you never think it's going to happen to you, right? Because you just think this is normal. This is fine. Okay. Maybe I had a little here, a little there, a little too much, but that really scared, scared me in in some of these stories that I've heard. Um, And like I said, I just, I didn't want to, didn't want that to happen to me or to my family, you know? Yeah. What a blessing, man. Let's spend some time on the last, you know, closing in on, on, three months mm-hmm. at the time that we've recorded this uh, day one, what did uh, you know, what was day one like and and what was different this time from those years of those years of attempting moderation and, and trying rules and, and trying all these different things out when you, when you hit this day one, was this a, all right, I'm done. Or was this another like, ah, let me just see what happens. And it's gotten us to today or, where was where was your head at on that day one? 
Yeah, I think I was pretty angry at my wife for the cookie comments, still, to be honest. <laughs> I don't want listen, I don't want to stoke that fire. <laughs> I was I was a little butthurt, as they say. Um, <laughs> you know, that kind of cut, cut through some stuff, that comment, and that really got my wheels turning again, as they have many times. So it probably wasn't, um, uh, well, this is it, I'm done. It was just really kind of sitting in that emotion and feeling and just being mad about it. But anytime I, you know, in, in my professional career, um, it, my job is a lot about overcoming objections and trying to see things from other people's perspective. Right. And I try to do that whenever I'm in a situation like, like this, for example. So, you know, I, I flip it around and I look at from her seat and, you know, it just, it really didn't make a lot of sense what I was doing to myself into my relationships, into my family. So that's kind of what I got out of that. Right. And it's like, gosh, I've been doing this long enough. What am I, why am I still doing this? Um, so I don't think it was a, this is it. I'm done forever, but it was a, okay. Something has to change this time. Right. So I've done this numerous times where I've stopped taking time off, but it's just, it just has to stop because I'm not willing to do this anymore. I'm not willing to not be present. And that's probably one of my biggest regrets is not being present for my wife and children and friends. Sure, I'm here half the time, but I got a drink in my hands. I'm thinking about the next one. And, you know, it's just, I'm not fully here. And I really started to question, maybe it has something to do with my age, you know, at best, if I, if I'm halfway through my life, 92, that's, that's pretty good. Right. Um, You know, at 46. So I, I really thought, listen, I can, I can live the rest of my life at 50 to 75%, you know, if I continue like this, maybe if I'm lucky, if I don't develop major health issues and ruin relationships, or I can make the decision to live at or as close to 100% as possible for myself for the rest of my life. Uh, and that's what kind of smacked me in the face and, and said, man, you were questioning this 16, whatever years ago. Why did it take you this long? Why? Why? And that's kind of, you know, if I had a message it's the, it's okay to question it. It's okay to make a change. You don't have to do this. Um, and I'm still early and, you know, I, I'm, I'm guarded. I know that, you know, I'll be challenged at times, you know, it's not an easy thing. Um, but man, I, making that decision to say, I'm going to be at hundred percent as close to it as possible for as long as possible is really what, what I got this time around. Yeah. I love that, man. That is such a true statement. It's when you said, you know, I was here, but was I really here? I was thinking about that next drink or, or, or thinking about the drink in my hand. I spent, I spent a lot of time present with my family, but my mind was not there. It's wondering how am I going to sneak out or just, you know, do I have enough to get me through the liquor store closes in a little bit? Like, can can I come up with a reason to get there or do I have enough hidden in the garage or in the office fridge or we're just not really engaged? Yeah. Just kind of a shell and to make that decision to, to be present and it's not to be grim, but this all ends in death. This, this whole thing for every single one of us, Yep, we're not going to make it out alive. Uh, so what, what are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the time that you have? And I think that's a great viewpoint. You know, do I want to, Shuck that down to 50% just to, just to be able to drink. Uh, yeah. Great perspective. Thanks. And, uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's wise to be, to be aware of the things that may come up. Even, even those of us 
even even mm-hmm. folks with some time under our belt it's still like it's it still behooves me i don't know if that's the right word but to uh to be aware like all right what's what's coming down the pipeline um and i think it's it's a difference between future tripping and trying to control every situation versus an awareness of the situations that are coming towards us and just having a plan Um, yeah i think burning the ships as paul says is is important part of that process right and and probably about a week after i stopped this past time um i i my wife and i have coffee every morning or tea and we 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 try to devote a half an hour to an hour of just talking and you know connecting in the morning before all the kids come down and the craziness starts and that's when i told her i said you know i think i i think i'm done drinking alcohol and she kind of looked at me and she's like like forever i said yeah i I think so. And it wasn't necessarily the response that I got um, that I was expecting, you know, because she does enjoy something here or there, but she was very supportive and she's decided to do it with me um, since then. So, you know, talking to her about it, letting her know uh, it was like a huge weight was just lifted off me. And it didn't mean that it wasn't scary or there weren't parts that I was apprehensive about, um, but telling her, uh, you know, the most important person in my life, right? My partner um, really just felt really, really good. Um, and, you know, we just had Thanksgiving and I've had conversations. It was with my whole family and I've had conversations with those people and they know kind of where I'm at. Maybe not all the details, but they know that I'm not currently drinking alcohol. And, um, you know, there's that fear of, wow, well, I'm not going to be any fun or, you know, you hear it all. I'm not going to be relatable. Uh, I'm going to feel out of place. but you know, like I hear a lot, I, I join a lot of cafe RE chats and, and one yesterday was the point was, listen, guys, people aren't thinking about you as much as you think they are. You don't, you're not the sun in everyone's universe. You know, you, you are in your universe, <laughs> but you're not in everybody else's. So, you know, somebody might know that you're not drinking and be like, Oh, good for you. That's great. You'll get a comment and they move on. They're not still walking around the room, getting their plate of Turkey thinking, Oh my God, I, he's not drinking alcohol. What? what the hell? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, but, but sharing it with people and letting people know, uh, has been really, you know, it's important for everybody to do that, I think. But for me, that's just made this early part of the journey that much easier, I guess, because people have some expectation and they know what to expect from me. And I was always the guy that was first to get a drink and get everybody a drink. So it's, it's definitely a shift and I'm anticipating some interesting secret Santa gifts from family members this year. <laughs> Cause not everybody knows. So we'll find out who I got and if they know, I suppose. Right. <laughs> that's funny man so you know a, a thing that I, that i just talked about in our um in cafe re in our online community was i just kind of shared what my experience was over thanksgiving and encourage the community to to do the same thing and the the point is is that we've got it's the whole you know again at the time of recording we've got the holiday season coming up and that can provide a myriad of triggers or tough moments for us so closing in on three months, heading into the holidays, you know, do you have, do you foresee any situations that might be a little bit challenging, you know, and I ask this not from a place of like, Hey, let's bring some doom and gloom and, and highlight the tough points, but rather as a, as an opportunity to highlight what some tools that you already have are, or, or some areas that you could reach, you know, if, if you find yourself in a bit of a pickle. Yeah. uh, You know, um, this time around, connection has been probably the biggest difference, right? Um, Joining Cafe RE 
was a was a big deal for me. Um, engaging in the chats, um, you know, the men's chat. I, I love Thursday nights is a great one because um, you get a lot of people in the same situation. It's just more relatable. Not not that you know talking to everybody isn't helpful as well, but you know, having these people to connect with both before and after where you can ask really honest questions. Like there's no bullshit small talk with this community, right? We go straight for the, we go straight for the, for the important stuff, the big things, you know, and everybody's most people, I shouldn't say everybody, because I know a lot, everyone's at a different point in their journey, but most people are really willing to share and kind of bear their soul um, as to their experience. Um, So engaging with those people has really helped me kind of think through possible situations. Um, I've got a, a, a buddy of mine who, for whatever reason, COVID, yada, yada, we just kind of, you know, have separate paths. And we did some work together before, but he put on Facebook a few months ago that he was celebrating 800 days sober. And I said, holy shit, I had no, I, I mean, I knew he was changing his life a little bit. I text them, hey man, let's grab coffee. And, you know, he and I get together, I don't know, every couple of weeks and just have coffee and shoot the shit. And he kind of checks in and just, Hey, how was Thanksgiving? How'd you do? And um, just having those people that you can um, reach out to those resources and it can be kind of anonymous too, right? You can go the route of, you know, some of the message boards or the Facebook groups that you don't have to be on a video or audio call. You can just pose a question. Um, I, I love the daily check-in at the stop drinking subreddit. You just, there's a lot of places where you can equip yourself via other people's experience to give you kind of an arsenal or, or, or weapons that you need when you need them. Um, I haven't had the um, awkward questions from anybody yet. The, well, what do you have a problem? Um, so, you know, that one I still haven't broached yet, but you know, um, there's so many great tricks to just um, getting through these, especially some of these holidays, Christmas parties, things like that. Always have a drink in your hand, bring something, bring something with you. Let people know, have an accountability person at the party with you uh, or, or worse comes to worse. Back to that. People aren't really thinking about you. Just leave. If, if you find yourself in a position where you're not comfortable and you think that you're at risk, just leave the old Irish exit. See you later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They don't. Uh, not that people don't care about us, but not to the extent that we think they do. Right. Uh, and I think you brought up a great point, too, with the uh, the barrier for entry has been lowered in in terms of entering the recovery space. Um, You know, it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, I remember being scared shitless, going to my doctor to try to get into treatment. And those were big steps. Even going to my first AA meeting, you know, I live in a small community and I just talked to someone yesterday that was like that was talking about their first AA meeting. They're like, "No, I did not go in my town. I went, I went to the ne- next town. I'm not. Right. No, I'm not doing that here where <laughs> I live. Are you kidding me?" Um, but those are big. Like now, it doesn't seem like a big deal because you know, having been to hundreds, but that's a, like that's a big step. But in today's day and age, being able to, like you said, stop drinking subreddit. Obviously, there's there, there's a lot of online communities. I'm partial to Cafe RE, but there's, you know, we're not the only uh, game in town anymore. And there's a level of anonymity, a, a level of being able to explore those spaces without being an active participant. And I think something changes when we become an active participant. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a way that we can look at it. 
and just be like, all right, what are other people doing? Yeah, there's there's a lot of options for you at different levels of engagement, right? If you want to just listen, you just listen. You don't turn your camera on, you don't turn your mic on, and you just listen. Um, I mean, I'm happy to share. I engage in in the different chats and I I share um, for whatever that's worth. And that's probably more for me than other people. If other people get things out of it, that's great. But it's it's more for me. And um, you know, I started therapy this past year. I mean, there's just a lot of places where you can go uh, and do things to help you if you make this choice or you decide you're thinking about, even if you're, you know, the term sober curious, even if you're just thinking about it, there's a lot of places that you can get out there and just start to kind of dip your toe in and see if it's something that you like. And, and Cafe Aries has been big for me. I, you know, I'm not a big pay subscription type of service thing, but I, I just, it's something I check in on every day. Um, everybody's really supportive of each other. And there's just a lot of resources for there for you when you want them. Yeah. We're getting close to the end of our time, but before, before we do rapid fire, I, I just wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit about, again, since, uh, since your, your last day in August, just some of the positives, some things that have happened, maybe relationships with your family. What are, what are some of the things that you've seen that, that you can grab onto for fuel moving forward. Yeah, that that presence has been a big thing for me. It, it, and even if it's only noticed a little bit um, by my immediate family, it just means a lot to me. You know, I feel like I'm connecting more with my wife. Uh, drinking is a pretty selfish process, right? Because it's all about you. Um, when you stop that, it kind of gives you the mental space and clarity to start thinking about the other things in your life. Which, you know, for me, my kids are a pretty big deal. And I've always kind of believed that, you know, our kids didn't ask to be here. We brought them here. So we really owe it to them to do the best we can for them. And uh, I didn't do that for a long time, but I'm doing it now. Um, and hopefully, you know, when they're young enough that I can set a good example for them about how they can live their life if they want or the kind of people that they want in their life or the kind of partnership that they want with somebody. Um, so really kind of connecting with my kids and being available uh, it's been, you know, it's been pretty awesome, actually. It's, it's little stuff. It's, you know, when they ask to stop at a store on the way to a lesson for the night so they can look at something with me or just, it seems like such small stuff, but it's nothing that was really on my radar before because it was just do the bare minimum so I can go back and do my own thing. Um, so connecting with my, my kids and my wife has really been a, such a positive thing for me. Yeah. Our ability to show up for other people is is magnified greatly when we put that crap down, and it uh, the fulfillment that that can bring us just showing up for the people that we love, the way that can fill our cup internally is it's an amazing and beautiful thing. Yeah, what a blessing to your family, man. Thanks, I'm a lucky guy. Well, Rick, we have just sailed by, and we are at the rapid fire round. I'm going to ask you to answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Like you hear a lot of times on this podcast, um, relatability, not being fun, being in those weird situations where you feel like you're just such an outsider uh, because you're not participating in something that everybody else is. Um, but it's not that scary. It really isn't. Amen to that. What is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? 
just feeling like, you know, it feels like uh, I've been living on on hard mode for a long time. Moving to easy mode has been great. It's like taking a wet blanket off of my life. Um, just <laughs> how I feel like physically and mentally, it's just, I don't want to say I feel like a new person, but I feel like I almost feel like a kid again. It's just, I, it just everything feels better. Everything feels better. I love that analogy, going from hard mode to easy mode. Yeah. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? So you'd think giving up alcohol would would um, maybe not com create complaints about other substances in my house, but Coke Zero and uh, Celsius. <laughs> Some of these high caffeine drinks, which I think I'm just in a phase right now because I'm still kind of early. Um, it's probably Coke Zero, much to my wife's chagrin. She doesn't want it in the house because the kids, we try not to have them drink soda. But other than that, um, Spindrift, you know, any of the bubbly stuff, anything that's uh, maybe a little more exciting than just plain old water. Yeah. You know, my wife will still give me grief. We'll go to big box store and I'll get a few cases. And I'm like, listen, this is eight bucks a case for sparkling yeah. water. So we're yeah. a hell of a lot cheaper than junk beer. 100%. We go through phases. Yep. What is your plan on sobriety moving forward? I want to stay uh, engaged in community um, at some degree, you know, uh, for right now with, with a busy household it's joining cafe re chats when i can checking in uh daily on my group's page the og page checking in on the subreddit stop drinking soberrecovery.com it's just engaging in all these different tools that i have and i can do it when i have the time um you know i have a busy busy professional life and personal life but it's always there it's always available to me so engaging and then I, you know i hope to become maybe a host um for cafe re at some point uh and give back in that sense I think that is a wonderful goal. I know a guy. Whenever you're ready, let me know. <laughs> Get you in touch with him. All right. What's your favorite resource in recovery? This could be a book, an app, a website, a program, any anything sure. that you've used. Yeah, I, I have a, a, a number of different podcasts that I listen to. I like podcasts because they're consumable in a smaller you know, format. Um, I, I do some driving in the car so I can, I can listen to some, usually I put them on like one and a half times speed. So your voice sounds a little slower today than it normally does. But, uh, <laughs> um, so sober recovery, of course, has been a huge one. Um, this naked mind, uh, alcohol is shit. I do a lot of audiobooks. Gosh, there's just so much out there. There really is. And once you dip your toe in, it's, it really opens your eyes to just the kind of world that's out there waiting if you want it. Love it, man. And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line? This was, I thought about this one kind of hard for a while, but I, I think I settled on, you might need to ditch the booze if most of your family pictures, videos from the past have you holding a beer can or a solo cup or some kind of drink. Uh, you know, you go back and look at some of those and you're like, oh man, that was my kid's like fourth birthday. What? Drink a beer? Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those uh, Facebook memories has been like a daily thing for me. And it's just like, oh. Yeah. Come on, cringy. dude. <laughs> Rick, I just want to thank you for your time. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, I appreciate it. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, man. Love thank you. With you. Yeah. It's been, it's been great. Nice to talk to you in person instead of just listening to your voice every week. Well, I appreciate you, brother. Stay the course. You're doing a great job. Thanks, man. All right. Take care. You too, man. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Rick, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. 
I want to reinforce today's intro. We've all been through some stuff, whether it's the events in our life that might have motivated our relationship with alcohol, the things that happened because of it, or some combination of the two. We have experiences that have shaped wherever we are today. The good news is, though, we're not bound by those experiences. I have a responsibility to myself to work through these things. For the things that weren't my fault, I need to work on finding grace and forgiveness so I can move on. For the things that were my fault, I need to work towards making positive changes in my life and making things right. This work creates solid ground to stand on so I can show up for my brothers and sisters. It enables me to put those tough times to work and to come alongside my peers. It opens a part of me that allows something much bigger than me to work through me. These are the gifts of sobriety, to live a life for something more than ourselves. The return on this type of life is unimaginable, and I'm so grateful for those people who continue to lead the way. We're the only ones that can do this RE, but we don't have to do it alone. I love you guys.